There is no Reiki Ray. You don't have chakras. You can't cure cancer by drawing a swirl in your palm and touching someone. And if your hands tingle a lot, you need to make an appointment with your doctor. If you want to try it, if it makes you feel good, feel free. There's nothing inherently wrong with it. It just won't make you well. And you need to understand that. It didn't occur to me at the time to think that since this guy concocted all this bullshit, that he was probably full of shit and knew it when he started selling it to people because he knew that people would buy it. It's nothing but theatrics. It's all supposed to lend to the authority of it, that you're doing all of this stuff and that there's a purpose to it, that at the end of it, you're gonna have this power literally placed in your hands and the fantasy and imagination part of it play a huge role. If this is about something that is supposed to be good for humanity, why bring money into it at all? Welcome to Unbound, a podcast for new atheists and lifetime atheists, ex-evangelicals, truth seekers and free thinkers. There is life after faith. And life here is good. It's time for a new perspective. And a better conversation. I'm Spider. And I'm Shell. And it's time to get unbound. Show me on the bear where the Reiki touched you. (laughs) God. Well, it's a thing. They use teddy bears. I'm not even kidding. They'll use teddy bears to send Reiki. That's so weird. It is. But you know, it's like I always say, hokey religions and ancient pseudoscience are no match for a good doctor at your side, kids. I'm Spider. And I'm Shell. And this time around, we are going to take a closer look at Reiki and some other energy healing methods, both related and unrelated to it. And I'm going to talk about some of the things I experienced with some of them also. There were two in particular that I was really heavily involved with, and Both are forms of Reiki. But before we get into any of that, it's November, and that means the return of Christians behaving badly. So (laughs) this week, we have for you a sometime prophet, a guy who doesn't like pronouns he can't choose himself, mountainous delusions of hate-fueled grandeur, and Rick Wiles' personal war on drugs. I give you the return of Christians behaving badly. (laughs) Man, who could follow up that introduction? Well, you are, because this is your segment. (laughs) Yeah, I guess. Well, the Christians might be wrong about a lot of things, okay? They are wrong about a lot of things, but boy, do they feel their opinions are correct. It's really hard to convince them once they've decided something's true, especially if their opinions come out of their own heads. For instance, our first story involves prophecy, because of course it does. You just stole my line. I know. (laughs) Didn't mean to. It's okay. You can have it. (laughs) It's sort of a choose-your-own-adventure prophecy in that there's really no coherent explanation of it. Evangelist Robin Bullock, he of the riding motorcycles with Jesus fame, has issued yet another prophecy. It's the same prophecy as all of his other ones. Trump is going to be back as president sometime. 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 That's a very specific prophecy. Yes, very specific. Not so specific on the deets. No, not very. Yeah. Way to be open in the scheduling. For real. I know, seriously. Most people put a date on it and then they have to retract, so. I'm sure he was kind of tired of putting dates on things and having to change them once the date came and went. I'm not sure this is better. Here's a quote. Men will not remove him. This This is Robin Bullock talking. Okay. Men will not remove him, the Lord said. I will. So do not be discouraged. 
Whatever you see as November comes and goes, just remember something. God is still going to do what he said he was going to do. And in heaven, people that people recognize as president is not recognized in heaven. Because the fraudulent stuff didn't start at the very top, it started here and worked its way up. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. I guess. So you can look for a big event to take place. Probably at, I caught it in my spirit standing here, something, there will be a prophetic event that will happen very soon. And it will be, I don't know if it will be in this country, maybe another nation, but it will be known loudly. It's an event. I don't know what it is. I am not sure if it's nature related or something, but it's about to be a big event. And look for the word title. And I believe that's connected to a wave of something. But this prophetic authority and governmental authority is about to start. What a lot of syllables to say absolutely nothing. (laughs) I don't know about you, but I'm totally convinced. Oh, completely. Yeah. And here's a scary guy with a lot of influence saying insane things. Lance Wallenau, a Christian nationalist who is a proponent of Seven Mountains Dominionism, took to his podcast to declare that wokeness is an anti-Christ religion. He goes on to say that systemic racism doesn't exist. Well, I'm sure it doesn't for him. He's well, white. it doesn't for most white evangelicals. So. Right. Well, here's a quote. The wokeianity of the Antichrist system is an extorted confession of faith, he When said. I saw that in your notes, I saw wokeianity. Oh! And, 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 and I got real excited thinking oh. that there was a religion revolving around Chewy. But, yes, you know. Oh, Im- imagine my disappointment when I read on. Yes, okay. I know. It's terrible. All right. I'll shut up. Go ahead. <laughs> An extorted confession of faith where you have to use the gender pronoun arbitrarily chosen by a student, even if that student's reality isn't real for you. Well, you see, that's just it. It's their reality. Yes. Not yours. You can have whatever world you want. Yes. You can't be a bit. Well, you I, I don't think you can stop somebody from being a bigot, but, you know, you can have bigoted ideas that just live in your head and that's your reality. But that other person's reality could be and usually is something very, very different. Right. Walnow claimed that wokeism has infiltrated corporate America through a scheme by the homosexual movement to get gay people hired into human resources departments where they could hire their own woke people and get rid of the conservatives or evangelicals. He claimed that the HR director of a major corporation angrily told him that the movement was not seeking acceptance from Christians, but instead would force Christians to bow to the need to affirm and celebrate homosexuality. Oh, you gotta be kidding. I'll take things that never happened for 500, Alex. No shit. Seriously. But this guy has a huge sphere of influence, which is terrifying. He's a teacher, he's a speaker, a life coach, and a podcaster. His social media lists hundreds of thousands of followers. He was invited to the White House under the last guy to sit in a briefing on Middle East issues. In 2020, Walnow said Trump's re-election would set the stage for the church to take greater authority in the world. When that didn't happen and Joe Biden was sworn in as president, Walnow declared Biden to be an illegal counterfeit as opposed to all those legal counterfeits, I suppose. The only legal counterfeits that I can think of are 
in the box with the rest of the Monopoly pieces. Yeah, pretty much. That, yeah. that to me, would be a legal counterfeit. Yes. Now, if you don't know what Seven Mountains Dominion theology is, here's a brief explanation from a 2016 Texas Observer article. This theology holds that Christians must take control of seven mountains or areas of life. Family, religion, education, media, entertainment, business, and government. That's pretty much everything. Pretty much. (laughs) Many proponents of this theology believe that God inspired the founders to produce the Constitution and declared that biblical values have made America the greatest country on earth. We're so not. Yeah, I know, right? We're so not. I'm like... I I keep dreaming of going to Canada. They also encouraged Christian pastors to run for public office at every level and called upon all Christians to exercise their sacred responsibility to vote for candidates who uphold biblical values. Sounds a lot like the Republican Party, doesn't it? Yeah, a little bit. As if you need any more proof. And now from the scary to the just plain ridiculous... 68-year-old Rick Wiles took to his True News program to warn us all of the drug cartels bringing their army to the Texas coast to slaughter Americans and also to declare if that happened, he would shut down his channel and go down to Texas and fight. I'd love to see that. I know, right? TikTok it. TikTok. (laughs) Of course, he blames this scenario on former President Barack Obama and George Soros. Because of course he does. He did it again. I know. Here's a small sample of his rant. The communists running Homeland Security, they're going to betray the Americans, Wiles said. I fear a massacre is coming. A massacre of Americans on the Texas border. When it happens, it all breaks loose at that point because we all have to pick up our arms and head to Texas. All of us. I will walk away from true news. I will go to Texas and I will fight. If this happens, that's what I'm doing. I'm going to Texas to fight because there's nothing left. You just can't sit there and allow this to happen. When is Texas Governor Greg Abbott going to act? When is he going to send troops to the border and order them to open fire? The thing that's going to hold them back will be the women and children the cartel is using as human shields. Thank you, George Soros, for your evil, diabolical plan that you have because this is organized. The communists have organized this invasion. George Soros is paying for it. Why is that man allowed to continue walking around? Why? He is an enemy of our republic. Why is he allowed to continue to operate in this country? And you realize that this is absolutely nonsense. This is like not happening at all. Well, I mean, I'm sitting here thinking that I should be wearing a tinfoil hat just listening to that. Yeah, I know, right? It's so nonsensical. Yeah, it's and it's just so it's so crazy. It's so batshit. You can tell that this is just you know angry ramblings and nothing more. Yeah. You can just tell just by the way that his thoughts are coming out. You can hear just the the disconnect inside his head. These these don't yeah. even they don't even read like they should be part of the same stream of thought. No, well he did uh, create some emergency emergency things about you know jade helm and all those other things back in the early years of 2020 the early years of 2020 oh the early years of the other guy okay the other guy i don't honestly know what's more ridiculous 
Rick Wiles' second Alamo, or the idea that Rick Wiles, a nearly 70-year-old man who recently recovered from COVID, is going to the Texas border to fight. Yeah, I'd like to see it. You yeah, know, I... Pixar, it didn't happen. <laughs> well, it's not going to happen because he's insane. Well, of course. <laughs> just... I mean, nothing that he describes is actually happening. No. So so there's his buffer right, right. there. There's, there's his cushion of safety. I have to imagine that he knows that what he's saying is bullshit. He's or just, he, he's trying to, he's trying to stir things up. That's I it. mean, he might have read it somewhere. I mean, to be fair. He might have heard it from some other crackpot Christian source. Right. Yeah. But it's, it's just like all those other things that people were so worried about, like the FEMA death camps and all those other things that circle around like mm-hmm. every year. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And and they do just keep coming back around. Yeah. And it's kind of annoying. Yeah, it is. But that's conspiracy theory for you. Yeah, true that. So with the return of Christians behaving badly, coming back nice and strong, before we get into our main topic tonight, I just want to let you know that our Patreon is active at patreon.com slash Unbound Podcast Network. Starting at five bucks a month, you can help us help others get and stay unbound by helping us continue this thing of ours and making it a little bit better along the way. If you don't have the money to spend on it right now, then just help us with your likes, your shares, your five-star ratings, and all of the things that help podcasts grow. We need that every bit as much as we need your dollars, but we do need your dollars too. And also, next week, we are finally going to get into another topic that I've been sitting on for a while, and that is the topic of tracts. The working title of next week's episode is Tracts, The Weapons of Their Warfare, question mark. And let me tell you, they wage war with tracts, especially the nastier ones that are out there. You know, the Jack Chick ilk or the Burning Hell ilk. Yes. And I have some other stories that I'm going to interject because I was kind of a big tract guy. Yeah. And, you know... For me, this is a topic that's kind of mea culpa, that's a little bit embarrassing to talk about on certain levels. But also, I feel like there are parts of this that, you know, get joked about a lot, but aren't really laughing matters because right. because they do have the potential to do damage. Yeah. So with that little bit of a tease, I just want to get right into this week's topic because it's one that I have some experience with. Mm-hmm. And it's one that I think I have some good stories to tell on also. So with all of that buildup, let's get right into our main topic. So just to get this out of the way, let's recap one salient point that I've made about this subject in the past. Most of what we're going to talk about tonight happens in every Pentecostal evangelical church out there, and even in some more mainline evangelical denominations. Every single time you use your hands as a means of sending healing energy, you are doing Reiki. There's debate over which came first, but you're definitely doing the same thing as the people that uh, that you sat in that pew next to. And I'm sorry to be so blunt, but it's as useless as a screen door on a submarine, no matter how you want to present it. And there are different ways to present it. And we're going to look at two distinct ones tonight. All energy healing methods are rooted on something that makes them suspect from the very beginning, and that's a little thing called belief. Now, anyone who has listened to this show for any amount of time knows how we feel about that around here. It's one thing to believe in your doctors and the skills they've acquired and developed, 
We have reason to believe in those things, especially if the doctor has performed the same procedures numerous times with success. There's proof of a lot of things here. There's proof of a medical degree. There is observable evidence of the outcomes of their treatments, surgeries, etc. In short, we can observe that what they do makes a difference and measure the actual long-term effects. In those instances, our belief in the skill of the physician is valid. It's rooted in science. We have peer-reviewed data that shows that treatment X has the likely result of Y. With energy healing, we have things like hope, belief, positive thinking, and other things that flat out provide no way of knowing the probability of a desired outcome. We go to a Reiki session because we're having migraines. We believe that the treatment will help, and it might temporarily. But without medicine or proper medical therapies, the problem isn't going to be solved long term. This is why in a lot of cases, when you show up for a Reiki treatment, a responsible practitioner will first pull out a waiver that says, among other things, that you shouldn't stop taking prescribed meds, you shouldn't stop seeing your doctor, and you should still do everything your doctor says to get or stay well. Okay, so if I still need all of that, what's the point of going for Reiki? Well, Reiki sessions are kind of cool. And I have done some Reiki myself. I've yes. been the practitioner and I've been the recipient. And I can tell you, you walk into that room and all of the sights and sounds and smells that they set up ahead of time is kind of cool. It's usually a cheap massage table that's been made up to look really nice. Yes. You've got your crystals, you've got your stones, you've got your incense or your essential oils burning. You've got the Reiki music, complete with the chimes every either three or six minutes or whatever it is, mm. so that you know when to change your hand positions and move to the next area of the body and all of that. So yeah, there actually is music designed specifically for Reiki that will do that so that the practitioner doesn't have to stand there going one Mississippi, two Mississippi. You know, they know <laughs> how long three minutes is because that's when the chime is going to go off again. But the overall experience of it, you know, different practitioners do it different ways. Mm -hmm. They have their own style. They have their own way of setting the mood and the tone for it. Um, the one person that used to do Reiki on me would start off with a rain stick and it was just you you could hear it and it felt like this little shower of energy coming down on you all kinds of interesting things that they do so it's fun there are theatrics to it right there are aesthetics to it that make it something that you kind of want to do that relax you going in and that's a lot of why it feels like it works is because right. it makes a lot of things inside you relax your muscles relax you don't breathe as heavy you may be breathing a little bit deeper because you like that patchouli smell in the air. <laughs> but, you know, that's pretty much it. You're going to be nice and relaxed and focused on why you're there. And you will, as I've mentioned before, you could experience some temporary relief. I experienced temporary relief mm -hmm. from the stuff that I went in there to have addressed. You know, mostly physical stuff. Not really emotional stuff for me with Reiki. It mostly had to do with the arthritis and yeah. the pain that I was having, I had a lot, I was having a lot of pain at that point in my life. I was having right. a lot of pain with it. And Reiki sessions always made it feel better for a little while. The first time it was for like three weeks. I didn't experience that kind of a lull with it ever again. But the first time I can say with certainty, I didn't have pain for like three weeks. So that to me was proof positive that it worked. Well, 
No, I'm not really sure what happened during that session or if it was the session itself that had anything to do with it because the pain with this has always come and gone with me. Mm -hmm. So it could have also just been purely coincidental that it didn't flare for three weeks. But that was a long time between flare-ups for me then. So, you know, to me, again, that told me that it was working because I was pain-free for a long time. But it really does boil down to the atmosphere that they set that's, that makes it more conducive for you to just lay there and believe. Right. You know, you lay there and you believe that things are going to happen. And when you get off the table, you think that things happened. But did they? Um, if you still have cancer, no, they didn't. If you still have glaucoma or whatever it is that you've been on that table for and you open your eyes and things are still fuzzy, well, no, it really didn't. But, you know, I think a lot of times people go for Reiki treatments and then they start making excuses or concessions or they lower their expectations of what's supposed to happen so that when the practitioner asks them if anything good happened, they're thinking in their minds, well, you know, not a whole hell of a lot, but I did experience this. And then they're going to latch on to that. And that's what they're going to use as their proof that something, quote unquote, happened. But, you know, the, the fun part of it, isn't reserved just for the person receiving Reiki. It's kind of fun to be a practitioner too. Now, I never did this for money. I never had like quote unquote clients. Right. But I did perform Reiki on more than a few people. And it is actually a lot of fun to the extent that it's something that you get to use your imagination with a lot. Yes. You don't think of it in that way when you're in the midst of it. You really do think that you're channeling this actual force And that it's making a difference in someone's body or in their mind or in their life or whatever. You actually believe it. But when you take a step back, once you find yourself getting or being unbound, you start looking at it from a different perspective. And you realize that your own theatrics and your own participation in this, the interactive aspect of it, is a lot of fun. And it makes you feel good along with whoever it is that you're, quote unquote, helping. Right. It makes you feel good about yourself. It makes you feel energized and empowered. And these are good things when they're rooted in reality, not so much when they're rooted in something like this. Mm-hmm. Um, but before you ever even get to this point, there are levels that you have to go through. You don't just decide to be a Reiki practitioner. Oh, no, 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 no. There are protocols that go along with this. And there are levels to Reiki, three to be exact. And I want to talk just a little bit about each one of them in turn, because I don't think that you did a whole lot with this. I didn't do anything. I'm pretty sure that this was kind of my thing. Yes, yeah, this was your thing. And the expectation was that I would basically pass it on to you if you wanted it. And you never really seemed to. So, level one is, you know, it's basically Reiki kindergarten. Now, all the levels are taught by a Reiki master or Reiki master teacher who has been quote unquote trained to pass the attunements and teach Reiki in level one, the Reiki Ray is taught and explained. You learn the hand positions used in Reiki and you learn how to use these hand positions on yourself and on others. But at level one, you can only heal yourself. Mm -hmm. You, You can't pass it on yet. It's just sort of imbued to you and you become attuned to it to the point where you can actually do things to yourself. They teach you about chakras because, of course, they do. <laughs> it uh, it just sort of falls in line with this. And one of the actually not terrible things that I learned in level one 
was the Reiki principles. I, I think these, you know, as standalone concepts yeah. are pretty good. Yeah, they are. Just for today, I will give thanks for my many blessings. Just for today, I will not worry. Just for today, I will not be angry. Just for today, I will do my work honestly. And just for today, I will be kind to my neighbor and every living thing. Well, nothing harmful there. These are actually pretty good principles to try and set your day by. Then there's the history of Reiki, which, of course, you know, let's justify charging people for this class and let's just make a survey class out of it. Let's make it feel a little college-ish. And then they get into the area of self-treatment and the things that you can do to uh, to Reiki yourself up, basically. Mm. And in some cases, level one will delve a little bit into treating animals and helping people, quote unquote, cross over. You know, at the point of death, there's Reiki that you can do that is supposed to make the transition smoother, you know, whatever. But that's what we that's what we were taught. And of course, at that point in my life, I wasn't whatevering it. I was taking it pretty damn seriously. Mm. As I will get to a little bit later, you'll find out just how seriously mm. I was taking it. And and you know what? I it even surprises me now. Mm. Cuz like I've said many times, I have always been a smart person, but I also have a big imagination, and it's probably why this worked so well for me. So at that point, that's your level 1 curriculum, and once you've been taught all of this loveliness, it's at that point that you receive your first attunement. In some traditions, you get four attunements for level one, which, I mean, I'm sorry, complete and total overkill. I got one. And most people these days only get one. But there are those practitioners who will still do all four. To me, it's just a lot of theatrics and a big fat waste of time. But the point is that it makes you an official Reiki practitioner. But you still just can't go around healing people. For the $59 that you pay for level one, you only get to touch yourself. And not even in a divinal sort of way. Just, you know, you're touching yourself innocuously for healing purposes. Mm -hmm. Um, To actually do anything useful, you need to advance to level two. But wait, there's more. Before we even get to level two, we probably should be aware of some of the side effects of our attunement. Um, Those include headache, cold spots, tingling throughout the body and exceptionally warm or cold fingers and hands. Now, you told me I had hot hands when I was doing Reiki on you. And I had a couple of other people say that my hands got hot too. And I think we've kind of touched on this a little bit before where, you know, the expectation of it can just make things feel a little bit more sensitive. Right. Like, you know that I'm going to perform Reiki on a certain part of your body. That certain part of your body responds to it. So it's not my hands that are hot. It's your body that has those warm regions because now you're preparing to receive this healing that's coming. And it feels like it's coming from my hands, but it really isn't. Same thing with cold. I'm not sure how it polarizes that way in in certain people's heads, but I think that it's the exact same principle. It's that part of their body that is reacting to what they think is about to happen. So I guess the point of that, of all the side effects, is to be careful and not over-attune. I mean, that's all I can think of. They talk about waiting three weeks to three months in between your attunements so that, you know, you don't overload your body with it. Hmm. And um, some people say that they orgasm when they receive their attunements. 
I myself never did, and I never saw it. So there is that. So onward to level two. Welcome to level two, everybody. We're going to talk about the three Reiki symbols now. Uh, symbols of focus, harmony, and connection. You've got the Shokure, which is your power symbol. You have your Sehiki, which is your emotional wellness symbol. And then the one that no one in the class except me could ever pronounce, Han Shaseshanan, the tower. That's my descriptor for it, because that's what it looks like. It just looks like a big tower. <laughs> and uh, that right there is the... it's supposedly the glue that ties all of the symbols together and then you learn the principles of mental and emotional healing distance healing how to use their symbols and what they mean and at the end of a level two class then you get your second attunement now you can use the reiki symbols some of what i'm what i'm using tonight comes directly from the course materials that i was presented with when I did this, I actually still had these in my Dropbox. Don't ask me why. I got so much Wicca shit yeah. in my Dropbox. Oh, it's that, not even yeah. funny. Yeah. And in those crazy files that I'm not sure why I even kept, but for the purposes of this episode, I'm actually glad I did. Mm. Here's what they say about using the symbols. And this is what you learn in level two. Practice, practice, practice drawing them. Just draw them all the time. And I did. I so totally did. I always had paper and a pen or something that I was, or, or a Sharpie. I usually used a Sharpie to do it. And just drawing the symbols over and over and over again, trying to perfect them, trying to get them right to the point where I could close my eyes and draw them. And I did that too and got pretty good at it. Then they say to draw in, quote, a variety of ways. But they also tell you that you need to do the strokes in order. So... Well, what does that mean? Well, it means that you're drawing them, not so much that you're changing up the way that they're drawn. It means that you're doing things like drawing them into your hand, or you're drawing them in the air, or you're drawing them on paper, or you're closing your eyes and drawing them and seeing how accurate they come out. Those are the kind of things that they're talking about. And I hadn't really thought about this one since I took the classes, and didn't really adhere to it too much, but they say picture drawing the symbols in violet mm. because that's apparently the color of Reiki energy. Well, okay, if you say so. And then they get a little bit more specific about drawing in the palm of your hand, drawing over the wall of your treatment space. Reiki also apparently comes out of your fingers, so draw the symbols over the body of the person that you are treating. And all I can think of there are things like, you know, the sign of the cross. That's not an evangelical thing. It's a Catholic thing. But it's the same basic principle. You're drawing right. a symbol over yourself as a sign of basically protection, attention, attunement with the Holy Spirit, if you will, that sort of thing. So it's the same basic principle. And then it says that if your hands are otherwise occupied, in other words, you're treating a person then you can trace the symbol out with an imaginary, very long nose and use small head movements to mm. draw them. Okay, I can say with certainty that I never once tried to draw the symbols with my nose. Mm. and That's taking it just a little bit too far. But just in case that wasn't far enough, then they say, draw them with your eyes. Anyone who's ever seen Shokure knows that it's a spiral. How do I draw that with my eyes? I don't know anyone who isn't a cartoon 
who can do that with their eyes. You're trying it and it's not working. You're you're spinning your head. Yeah. You see, because that's the only way it's going to work. You can't do it with your eyes. You can do it with your head. You can't do it with your eyes. And then this is right from the curriculum, right from the class that I took. It says, once you have had a great deal of practice in drawing out the symbols and they become second nature, you can produce the desired effect by visualizing the symbol in its entirety and you can dispense with the drawing out method if you wish. So wait a second. Now all I have to do is memorize what it looks like. At least the first two, I would say that's yeah. pretty easy. Hansha Sishanon, eh, there's a lot more to that one. But the other two, yeah, I don't think that you're asking for much to get somebody to just memorize it and visualize. Oh, and from there it just gets better because then we're told... Quote, there are no shortcuts in Reiki, and don't take the above advice as meaning that you don't have to bother drawing out the symbols. When you've drawn them 500 times, I'm sure I did it more, then you might think about seeing them in their entirety. Don't run before you can walk. Well, I'm pretty sure I memorized them long before I got there, but I'm also certain that I drew them 500 times, and probably more. Probably a lot more. Then it says this technique is usually only suitable for Shokurei and Seihiki. Well, yeah, because like I said, Hanshazeshanan is much more involved. There's And the subtleties with how you're supposed to draw that one. You know, it's like someone really, really overthought this. Yeah. <laughs> like tremendously overthought it. Then they go on to make the point that Hanshazeshanan is in its entirety 20 plus pen strokes. Yeah. Whereas the others, not so much. Um, Shokure is pretty much continuous. Right. As I'm reading through this again and realizing what I paid for each tier of this, it's like, so basically people just paid $139 to be called stupid mm-hmm. by the course material. Um, okay, so no, that it really isn't as difficult as you're making it out to be to remember what these things look like. And of course, well, there is the aspect of they just paid $139 yeah. to be taught how to draw swirlies. So yeah, there is that. Now, if I can memorize it as I'm supposed to, then why can't I just draw it mentally? It's not that difficult. Also in level two, we get into the concept of distance Reiki. Here we go. You can Reiki someone from literally anywhere in the world, but it takes a lot of focus to just do this mentally, too, because how do you keep an image of your elderly mother or best friend in your head? No, you need props. It's not like you can remember (laughs) what they look like. So, yeah, you need some props. And those props come in a variety of forms. Sometimes it's pictures. You can make the symbols over a picture of the person that you're trying to send Reiki to. And then there are what they call proxy methods. And this is where the teddy bear comes in. They taught us to basically do Reiki on a teddy bear while thinking about the person that we're trying to send the energy to. So you do all of the same things with hand positions and you do like an entire treatment over this teddy bear and you think about the person that you're sending it to. And the teddy bear is supposed to act as a conduit and a proxy and send that person the Reiki through you, for, through, through what you're doing to it. And if you're truly special, you can just visualize the person. But be sure you get the details right or it won't work. So if I understand this correctly, if grandma has colored her hair gray and you're sending Reiki to her. I think I was actually told this, to be perfectly honest. It was just some snarky shit that came out of my head. But now I'm thinking about it. I do believe that someone said something at least similar to this to me at one point. 
Um, if grandma has colored her hair gray and you're sending Reiki to and you're sending Reiki to her, the Reiki won't know where to go if in your mind her hair is gray, but it's actually brown. No, I'm not kidding. Reiki is powerful, but it's also stupid as fuck. <laughs> um, then they talk about beaming Reiki. This just keeps getting better, doesn't it? You can either draw the symbols in the air and send them to the target, or you can just throw the Reiki at them if they're in your line of sight. You can also basically make a Reiki hit list. I'm not even kidding. You can send Reiki to a bunch of people at once by making a list of names and drawing the symbols over them. And this, again, right from the course material, because distant healing works outside of time and space, you can also send distant Reiki to yourself as a child and deal with difficult episodes in your past. You can send it to yourself in the future in an anticipated difficult situation like a job interview. You can send future Reiki to yourself for the job interview. You can send Reiki to your past lives. You can send it to someone who has passed on. What good it's doing them then, I have no idea. You can heal a relationship between two people, but always for the highest good. What, I can't use it to get my ex back if she's already with somebody else? What is this? Is it power or isn't it? Um, then you can you can actually have a hand in quelling global crises like the Gulf War. There are people out there that believe that the Gulf War ended because a lot of people started doing Reiki and sending it to the Middle East and the Gulf War ended. It was pretty quick. We were in yeah. and out of there pretty quick, oh, yeah. but it has nothing to do with people going shokure sehiki. No, nothing to do with that. You can send Reiki to the planet Earth, nature, or your garden. You know, mm. just, if those bell peppers aren't big enough, just Reiki the fuck out of them. <laughs> and, they, and they should grow. You can send Reiki to divine figures like Buddha or Jesus or Krishna or the goddess or Yahweh. Like it would do him any good or like he would care. Then my question is, why the fuck do any of these entities actually even need my Reiki? I mean, if they're the higher powers, then, you know, what am I doing? What difference does it make? And, you know, I had that question back then, too. But, you know, just the, there were certain things that I just sort of kept to myself. Yeah. Because I didn't want to sound like an asshole. But, you know, that was in my head then. <laughs> and here it is, the piece de resistance. If you're going to do distant healing, someone suggested that you, someone, they're not going to say who. But someone suggested that you should try to do it at 10 p.m. And they later clarify 10 p.m. Greenwich Mean Time, 10 p.m. GMT, since that's when most distance healing organizations send their healing energy. I googled the term distance healing wow. organization and came up with absolutely nothing. Yeah. So who the hell knows what they're talking about there? They say if you cannot do it at 10 p.m., then you should do it earlier, but intend the energy to go out at 10 p.m. You can set a Reiki alarm for 10 p.m. GMT and just do it okay. and then just let the alarm go off when it's time. Isn't that convenient? Yeah. Isn't that just lovely? Um, Reiki alarms, man, just uber cool. And yeah, now some of these, I, I put in my notes, I said some. Some of these things are silly and laughable. They're all silly and laughable, okay? Right. I was I was being kind when I was making my notes. But 
here's the problem. Some of them can really fuck with a person's mental health. Sending Reiki to yourself as a child so that you can deal with childhood trauma and abuse and that sort of thing. Well, what happens when you still need therapy after that? You know, you're not fixing anything. Hello, you still need to go to therapy, but you can get it into your head that this is somehow going to retroactively fix something. And that's kind of a dangerous way to look at it. That was the one that really jumped out at me. But there are a couple on this list that I think that applies to. So, you know, just be careful what you try and tell your brain. You know what I mean? There are positive and negative ways to deal with things like trauma of any kind, childhood trauma, PTSD, whatever it is that you are going through. The bottom line is that you can't go back and retroactively fix it so that it's just all better now. That's not the way that it works. But if you're the person who wrote this manual, it kind of is. And that's a little bit scary. And it's more than a little bit dangerous. Let's see. And, oh, apparently you can also Reiki your bed. That's nice. This one says, I send Reiki to my bed with the intention that the energy will wait there for me and flow into me when I get into bed at night. You can send Reiki to the future in an unconditional form. It doesn't have to be set to be released at 10 p.m. GMT. It can be sent with the intention that the energy will be released when a certain thing happens. More time release Reiki or Reiki alarms. For example, when you walk into an interview room, you can basically set it to go off at that point. You don't have to worry about Reiki landing on the previous candidate if things end up running late. You know, you can just activate it whenever you want. There are other uses for distance Reiki too. You can use it for group distance Reiki where you all get together. And this is where the Gulf War part of it came in. You know, you get a whole group of people together with a common purpose and just sending Reiki. I actually did attend a couple of these Reiki shares where you get together and you just send each other Reiki. Like, you don't, you're not touching each other. You're not necessarily doing treatments, although in some Reiki shares that does happen. But usually it's just, you know, you're sending energy to someone across the room and they're confirming that they got something. It was very silly. Room cleansing. I used to do this in my circle. You know, I, I would um, perform Reiki in my circle as a means of cleansing. You can use the power symbol as a filter, you know, think of it like a dream catcher where you can basically absorb the negative vibes around you. This is um, not necessarily distance Reiki, but stuff that you learn in level two, basically. And also you can give yourself a little bit of a confidence boost when you've got other people in the room and you're sending them Reiki and they confirm that they got it. You know, that's, oh, cool, I can actually do this. And then there's the all-encompassing, quote-unquote, everything else. They literally have a bullet point that says everything Everything else. else. Yes. Everything else is listed as a use for Reiki in this manual. And all I could think there when when I read that, you know, this time through... All I could think is, Reiki? I put that shit on everything. (laughs) Then we move onward to level three. This is the real shit right here. This is master level Reiki. The Yusui master symbol, and, and I probably should have mentioned this in the beginning, but the person who developed the concept of Reiki was a so called Dr. Yusui. He wasn't really a doctor of anything. So when we talk about the different types of Reiki, what I'm actually talking about right now is referred to as Yusui Reiki because that was who came up with it. And in level three of Yusui Reiki, you learn the Yusui Master Symbol, which is the Daikomayo 
which shows up in other energy healing methods also. And I can only imagine when you look at the word uh, Daikomayo, it must translate into something like Wicker Man or 1950s movie robot, because honestly, that's what this symbol looks like. It looks like one of those two things. Its meaning and application completes, I almost said competes, that would be more fun. I think it would be even more fun, you know, (laughs) Reiki fighting, but it completes the other three symbols taught at level two. Not sure precisely how, it's not like you can connect the dots, but it's supposed to be, I guess, the all-encompassing sort of thing, which, you know, you're told in level two that Hansa Seishinan is the all-encompassing thing that binds the other three together. So now you've got this one that's, what, an extra level of bonding? I don't know. I'm not sure that whoever came up with this actually even knows. Masters are also taught how to initiate others into Reiki using the attunement process. So at this point, you are capable of making other little Reikilets, I guess. Mm-hmm. And then it said, oh, this, this was one of my favorite lines in the entire manual. It says, due to the intensity of the attunement process, some Reiki masters recommend that at least 21 days to a full three months pass between receiving the level one and level two attunements. Level one is required to receive level two. See, there are prerequisites. You got, they you, they right. want to make sure that you pay for every class. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. That is what it boils down well, to. Well, yes. And here's what they say happens to you after a master level attunement. And no, I'm not kidding. I, you can't make this shit up. Your healing energy will flow stronger and vibrate at a higher, more intense level. It will continue to expand at your own pace. You know, I, I never felt my Reiki expanding. Your personal and spiritual growth will expand to higher levels. Well, no, that didn't really happen either. I'm just, I just, I, I feel like that means that you'll think you're hot shit. I, that, that's really what I'm yeah. reading there. You will have a master symbol that will intensify your other Reiki symbols. That's the Daikamayo. You will become more at one with yourself and the universe. Well, I don't know. I, I found that more with weed than I ever did with Reiki. <laughs> Um, your awareness of the intensity of the power of Reiki will expand. Yeah, because now you're probably got somebody on that table and you're making money. And ooh, the the power, the power of persuasion. Yes, you may become more intuitive and psychic. Well, yeah, no, I can say no to that too. Maybe I just didn't do it right. I don't know. The jury is still out. Then they say the attunement and symbol will help you in your own life when needed. So you can send out the Reiki bat signal, I guess. Um, You will have a greater feeling of wholeness, fulfillment, and completion. No, again, kind of a negatory on that one. All the qualities of Reiki are enhanced by the use of the master symbol. Okay, if you say so. And further changes unique to you will manifest themselves. You know, I feel like I might have been able to convince myself of this one. But to be perfectly honest, you want to know what happened to me? Well, I just gave you a sneak preview, so it's probably not going to be much of a surprise when I say that the answer is nothing. Like, literally, absolutely nothing. It reminds me of my favorite number from a chorus line, good old Marvin Hamlish here. Nothing. I felt nothing except the feeling that this bullshit was absurd. And it was. It was quite absurd. And here's the thing about each of these levels. They cost money. Yeah. And I kind of hinted at this before, gave you a couple of the price tags that they put on it. But this is precisely what they do. You get to pay 
for the privilege of being attuned to each level. And each attunement goes up in value because you are supposedly able to do more with it at that point. So a level one class is usually going to run somewhere between 39 and 59 bucks. Sometimes it's a little bit less. Sometimes it's a little bit more. You know, there are a lot of factors that weigh in. But I seem to remember this was about right. A level two class is going to be more expensive, 89 to 139 dollars usually. And when I went online back in the day, because I was preparing to do this, I was looking to see what the going rates were. I always thought, and I wasn't the only one, that some of these prices were a little bit much for what you got back. Yeah. Especially at level three, which was priced out in most of the places that I saw, it was priced out to $600. And that is what I paid. So, yes. I paid it $800 total out of pocket so that I could get these attunements and be able to help people with them. And that was my motivation, not so much making money at it, but that I I would be able to help people. But, you know, I then learned that the making money part of it was kind of mandatory. And that's where this gets a little bit sinister as far as I'm concerned. And I'll get to that in just a second. But yeah, I fucking paid 800 bucks mm. so that I would be able to do this for people. So the question there, of course, is why so much? Well, they talk about the concept of an exchange of energy with the attunement process. They say that an exchange of energy has to happen between the giver and the receiver. Now, I can understand how a lot of things equate to energy. I cannot understand how money equates to energy. But this is the energy exchange of choice. It revolves almost exclusively around money. Now, one of the people who taught me, she basically had her take on this. And she said, well, if you're willing to pay 600 bucks for somebody to impart these attunements to you, you intend to use them. And then went on to talk about a couple of things that ranged in levels of integrity from an intense desire to help people to you'll recoup that. You'll earn your money back at it in very, very short form. So they talked about the humanitarian aspect and then went right into talking about return on investment. Mm. So, you know, when, when you start looking at it in those terms, it starts becoming a little bit less of a spiritual thing and a little bit more of a fortune teller parlor sort of thing. Yeah. One of the comments in the manual is that giving something for nothing creates imbalance. Okay, but why does it have to be 600 bucks? Or is there a small appliance? Why does it have to be money? What is it about the energy of currency that makes it superior to the energy of that hug or, you know, some Toll House cookies or a Bundt cake? What's the difference? I'm still giving something and getting something. Why is the perceived value of this so high that someone like me is going to go to the ATM, take out 600 bucks and hand it to someone else to sit me in a chair and wave their arms and do crazy shit for 10 minutes? That's an attunement in a nutshell. I'll, I'll get into the, uh, the specifics of this in a couple of minutes. But I mean, that, yeah. that honestly was what it was. Now, some RMTs agree. I use my acronyms a little bit too uh, liberally here at times. So RMT means Reiki Master Teacher. Some RMTs agree with me and, uh, and they give it away for free. I've seen that too. And especially at that price, it's worth every penny. There are some Reiki Master Teachers out there who have taken to YouTube over the years 
to basically attune anyone who wants to be attuned to level three and they don't make you pay for it. See, for me, I guess just because that was where my headspace was at the time, there was something about that that it felt wrong. It felt wrong to just take it. Yeah. And so rather than just watch a YouTube video and decide that I had it, because that really is what it boils down to, you decide that you can do this. Rather than doing it that way, I walked into a store and handed someone 600 bucks and had her sit me in a chair and wave her arms and make noises for 10 minutes. And, you know, we asked some of these people who make these videos, you know, what is the energy exchange? Because a lot of them do actually address it. And they'll tell you that the energy exchange consists of things like gratitude. Just be thankful that I gave this to you and that's enough. And honestly, I would agree. If this is about healing people, if this is about something that is supposed to be good for humanity, then why bring money into it at all? Yeah. You know, so these people have a point. There are people out there. I mean, I'm not saying that they're any less deluded because they're very deluded if they think that they have this and can pass it on. But at least they're deluded with integrity. And there's that. There's there's a lot to be said for integrity, even when it's attached to something like this. There are definitely some very genuine people out there who understand the difference between wanting to help someone and wanting to fleece them. And, you know, my hat's off to them. There are plenty of them out there, too. But if you want to see just how silly this is, let me take just a moment and briefly describe some of the steps of a Reiki attunement. I'm going to keep going with this until I either get tired of it or until I start losing IQ points, one or the other. Haven't really figured out which one yet, but we're going to figure it out as we go. So let me get back to it. Okay, so this is your level two Reiki attunement. Here's what they do. Here's what the practitioner does. For the record, I never got this far. I never did this for anybody. I think I might have for the other part of it. First, you open the student's hands flat, holding them in your left hand, or if you're left-handed, hold them in your right. So I guess you have to use your non-dominant hand or it's not going to work. Then you draw the Yasui Master symbol in front of the student's third eye, chanting the secret name of the symbol, Daikomayo, 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 three times. And then you visualize it moving into their head through their third eye, which is basically smack dab in the middle of the forehead. Then you draw the power symbol in front of the student's third eye, uh, chanting the secret name of the symbol to yourself. So the practitioner is silently saying Shokurei, Shokurei, Shokurei three times. And then they visualize it moving into the head of the recipient again through the third eye. Then they draw the distant symbol, which is the Sahiki, in front of the third eye, chanting its name to themselves three times again. Um, so you, you, you see the pattern here. They draw the mental emotional symbol, same thing, through the third eye, say it three times. Well, actually, the mental emotional is the uh, Shokurei. The power symbol would be the Hansan Seishinan. Mm. Um, not that anybody cares, but still. It gets sillier from there. I'm going to scroll down just a couple here. It also gets really, really specific. Like, you have to do this in very specific ways where it won't work, you know? It reminds me of, and I don't know how many people this is going to mean anything to, but people my age probably remember having computer systems like the Commodore 64 right, or the Sinclair, like Timex Sinclair 1000. I had one of these, and 
you actually could put computer programs on cassette tapes. Yes. And it took forever to load these things in. And if you listen to the tape, it just sounded like a bunch of gobbledygook, a bunch of electronic gobbledygook. But not only did you have to play this for the computer to be able to decipher it, it had to be like at a certain volume because if the volume was off, if it was too loud, if it was too soft, then all of the information would not make it through and the program wouldn't work. That's what I think about when I think about this, just the the sheer meticulousness of it that they expect you to adhere to as a practitioner. And I just get the impression that a lot of them freeformed it anyway. Yeah. Because, I mean, how anal is this? With your right hand, draw the power symbol in the air above the hands. Picture the symbol moving into the hands as you chant the secret name to yourself three times. Then slap the hands three times. This is... When, oh, okay. I know what this is. It's when you are actually putting the symbols in the hands of a new practitioner. Right. That's what that's all about. And then it says, with your right hand, draw the distance symbol and the emo- mental emotional symbol. And these are basically all the same directions. But, you know, you have to do them in a very specific way. And then at the end, you bring the student's hands together and move them in front of the heart Blow over the hands up to the third eye and crown. Not a good idea during COVID. Mm-mm. And back over the hands to the solar plexus and back to the hands. And then return to the back of your student. And that's part of it is that you're starting out standing behind the student. And there are other movements like you're supposed to be on their left and on their right at certain right. times. And it, I mean, there are different rules for different attunements, but you get the idea. I don't feel like I have to go further no. with that. It's nothing but theatrics. It's all supposed to lend to the authority of it, that you're doing all of this stuff and that there's a purpose to it, that at the end of it, you're going to have this power literally placed in your hands and the fantasy and imagination part of it play a huge role. And with that, I want to just segue a little bit, not going to spend as much time on this because honestly, most of it is about the same, Yeah, but not only had I discovered Reiki, but then in the course of all of the classes that we took on Wicca, it was presented to us that there was this thing called Shambhala that was basically Reiki on crack. <laughs> you know, that was that's the way that I look at it. It was basically someone took the concept of Reiki and fanfic the ever-loving shit out of it. That's yeah. what this is, basically. Yeah. If you don't like the idea of just a paltry three symbols, you can also get it into Shambhala. I actually put in my notes Reiki on steroids. I like yeah. I like crack better. <laughs> um, Shambhala is a form of Reiki that is founded on not just three symbols, but a base, a base of 22 main symbols with hundreds more that have been quote unquote discovered by founder John Armitage. And no, not that one. There's, there's a, a billionaire... <laughs> John Armitage, uh, not the same guy. Not the same. Not the same guy. When I went through the whole process of the attunements for Shambhala, at that time, there were 352. Uh I don't know if it's still 352 or if it's gone up since then. It could have gone up since then because, you know, apparently every single time St. Germain takes a shit, we get new ones. So (laughs) that's, yeah. Um, The attunements in Shambhala are, I'm not even kidding, downloaded to the practitioner 
and are activated by whispering, welcome to Shambhala, one, two, three, or four, depending on what level you're being attuned to, into the new practitioner's ear or the, the student, you want to call them the student, fine, into the student's ear. And the theatrics of it all, oh my fake Jesus. Normal Reiki has nothing on this. Oh my the, God. the level of theatrics that are involved in this and just the way that they call down the powers, it's almost like, you know, Thundercats ho, you know, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> but at the time, you know, it was an intense moment. You know, you're, you're feeling right. the power mm. and it's a real thing. And then you think about it like years later and all you can think of is Thundercats, Thundercats, ho, <laughs> seriously. <laughs> but uh, Shambhala represents quote, a way of accelerating your spiritual development. It's the same thing that they say about Reiki and level right. one. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, well, didn't the Reiki symbol do this, the Reiki master symbol do this for me already? I mean, that's what I was told. And now I'm like, now I'm being told, uh, 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 you need this too, because there's more money to be made. These days, however, Shambhala is now referred to as New Paradigm. And it was back then, too. I remember being told that he had kind of changed the name of it. And now it's just called New Paradigm. And it has been called other things at various times and for various reasons, all of which come back to John Armitage getting channeled messages from St. Germain. Yeah. Okay. So I guess St. Germain ganked all this from Dr. Yusui. Um, most of the messages involved that John Armitage claims to channel about this involve new techniques and attunements that master level practitioners would need to get, oh, and pay for. Mm. And I'm certain he got his ideas largely from Scientology, just the way that this is mapped out. It feels to me like it's more of a fusion of Reiki and Scientology, but you don't really get into the other side of it. You just kind of see where his thought patterns go with this. And there are reasons why this is this is true. I'm going to get into that in a couple of, couple of minutes. But you know what the really, really crazy part was? Is that before our teacher got into all of this with us, she literally told us John Armitage's story and all the crazy shit that he had pulled with his followers. Ugh. And it's like, at that point in time, I should have just saved my money and walked out. Because how could this possibly be true? Well... I'm also going to answer that question in a couple of minutes, so I'm not going to steal my own thunder on it. But there were reasons why I stayed. And I thought that they were righteous reasons at the time, you know. But one of the core beliefs of Shambhala is that Reiki actually predates Dr. Yusui. It actually started in, wait for it, wait for it. Atlantis. Mm. Yeah, it started in Atlantis. It was actually the brainchild of the supposed ascended master, St. Germain. There are resources out there where you can read for yourself how he uh, fits in with the whole Atlantis thing. I'm not going to get into it here because, you know, my brain can take just so much yeah. of this. But I will read this one quote from the Shambhala curriculum, which all of this is actually linked. I went out and found it online. Yeah. I was actually able to find all of it again with Google searches. So it's there. And you can actually, if you have the, the notion to read this shit yourself, it's there. So feel free. But I'm going to read this one little part for you. Quote, many of the Atlanteans who were considered spiritually and physically backwards were used as slaves by the priests and priestesses and the royal families of the Atlantean island. 
Saint Germain in that lifetime was given a number of symbols which could be projected directly into the energy system of an individual and which would raise their vibration to a sufficient level where they would transcend their present spiritual handicap and be equals amongst the Atlanteans. It sounds like the beginning of a sci-fi movie. Well, yes. And not a good one. No. He was given 22 symbols and a master number. Now, here's the thing about Shambhala. In Reiki, they say, you know, maybe you should wait a little while between your attunements because, you know, maybe your body just can't take it. Well, John Armitage didn't really think this was that big a deal because in Shambhala, you could get all of your attunements in one day. And we did. You know, the Shambhala training was not anywhere near as involved because it just piggybacked on all the Reiki stuff. So there was less to go over here. And I guess that means that it's just gentler. Apparently, your body can take it. You can, uh. It can take the full blast of all of the attunements at once and not have any undesirable effects. So actually, no, no, I got two. I got two in one session and two in a second session, but they were all the same day. I mean, right. we, we kind of broke for lunch and then came back. <laughs> we did level one and two in the morning, level three and four in the afternoon. And that oh. was how that worked. And it was kind of an all day kind of event. So, you know, it wasn't like it was 10 minutes of material. We were there for most of the day, but we got all of our attunements that day. Right. We didn't have to come back. And here's the real value added part of this. That whole thing only costs 40 bucks. I was only charged 40 bucks for that entire class. 10 bucks per attunement. That's not bad considering I paid 600 for one in Reiki. Yeah. And basically got the same thing. That's the crazy part. But, you know, I wanted all the other symbols. It was it was kind of like collecting Pokemon. You yeah. Know? I wanted the I wanted the extra symbols, so I did this. You gotta um, collect them all. Yeah, you gotta catch them all. Gotta catch them all again because, you know, all different kinds of healing that you can do, all different kinds of things that you can do with all of these symbols, you know. Oh it, it really was like a game. And I'm not sure that that was accidental. Right. The whole thing with Shambhala also had a real MLM feel. It felt like you were working with an upline, Hmm. but you know, you still got a lot more of the benefits than your average MLM would be able to provide to you. Your attunements came down from what was basically your upline. These were masters who had received it ahead of you and then let it trickle down. You had to be in a certain line, you know, You had to have a direct line to John Armitage because it all starts with him, with this shit that comes down from St. Germain. And then, you know, you had to be in some way six degrees of separation or whatever from him. Yeah. I don't even think it was six. I think it could go back as far as you want, but you have to be able to trace your lineage. And that was the thing with Reiki, too. People would ask what your lineage was, you know, who actually attuned you to each of the levels and who attuned them and back and back. So that was a thing in both also. Shambhala all originates with Dr. Yusui and St. Germain. This is one of the epiphanies that John Armitage had at one point, is that it actually all originates with both Dr. Yusui and St. Germain. So, you know, a little, little bit of contradiction there, but, you know, it, it's, it's still not as bad as the Bible. The idea here is that these two kind of work as a team. You know, they're like mm-hmm. the, the power twins. How many Saturday morning cartoons are we going to reference tonight? <laughs> This was an interesting part for me and also part of Reiki because my healing team basically showed up when I was getting my master attunement. And that is to say that I basically decided who I wanted my starting lineup to be when it came to healing people. And 
lo and behold, it was the ones that I had learned the most about in the process and one that I had actually, quote unquote, worked with before. And they were referred to as MAP teams or mind alignment process healing teams. Okay. I still have, if we go and look on that bookshelf, I'm certain that I have the books for for MAP and how to do it right. And there are several, there's like three volumes. It's crazy. But I assembled my MAP team and it included Dr. Yusui Kuan Yin, who is, I think she was either Chinese or Japanese goddess. She was a healer. And then there was Briad, or if you want to pronounce it the more American way, Bridget, who was a Celtic goddess, who she's a triple goddess and one of the coolest ones that I ever encountered and really honestly, truly believed walked with me and was responsible for, you know, certain things like my ankle starting to heal. Well, you know, that was because I was losing weight, but, yeah. you know, I needed something external to put it on. And so I gave Briad credit for that she was one of my main goddesses so when it came time to assemble my map team these were the three that came first to mind and lo and behold they were the ones that quote unquote showed up Mm. so whenever i did reiki they were there with me in my mind in my imagination they were with me and i would call my map team into circles all the time i used reiki and rituals more than once Instead of calling quarters, sometimes I would create sacred space with shokurei and sahiki, and that was allowed. You know, there, yeah. there are really no rules with this. You can create your sacred space any way you want. So once I got really big into Reiki, I started using that more. And there's one key difference here that I noticed between these two things. It's like when you are using Reiki, you basically just decide to start using Reiki and do it. Shambhala has an on-off switch. I'm not even kidding. When you decide that it's time to start using your Shambhala energy, you're supposed to either say or think Shambhala on. I'm not even kidding. You can't make this shit up. It's like turning your Wi-Fi router on and off. It's it's that silly. But uh, there were also some things that were unique to this form of Reiki that was called Shambhala and now New Paradigm. This symbol kind of freaked me out a little bit. And I tried to cut and paste it from the source material into the notes, and it just didn't want to paste properly, which makes it even creepier as far as I'm (laughs) concerned. But I can probably find a different version of it just so that you can see what this thing looks like. It's a symbol called the Antakarana, and it's a special symbol that has its own consciousness. This is not me talking. This is them talking, okay? Yeah. It's a special symbol that has its own consciousness. I don't want a conscious symbol just sort of sitting around my house. But yeah, back right? then, you know, I thought it was kind of cool. For a while there, I actually had one under my mattress, you know, just to get the healing energy percolating up into bed. Yeah, I was that into it. It works directly with your aura and chakras and varies its healing effect depending on what you need at the time of use. Since it is directed by the higher self, it always has a beneficial effect and can never be misused or used to cause harm. The symbols can be placed under a massage table or under the bottom of a chair. That's where I got the idea from. They can also be placed on the wall or they can be held against your body with the print facing the area needing healing. What I find sinister about this thing, not really, I don't, I don't know about sinister, but it has a creepy look about it. Yeah, it's it weird. It looks like a three-pronged swastika in a cube. That's the best yeah. way that I can describe it. And I will try and find a better visual for it so that you can yeah. actually see it. That was weird. It was I looked very it up. weird. 
Yeah. I yeah. looked it up. I was like, oh, that is kind of weird. It, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's it. It has it. I hate to even use the term, but it kind of has a vibe. Yeah. And not the good one that they're trying to make it out to have here. Yeah. It looks really, really odd and not really welcoming or happy, you know? Yeah. So that's the Antakarana for you. The other Shambhala symbols are in one of the PDFs that I've linked to in the show notes if you really want to waste your time looking at them. At one time, I had the first 22 and all of their properties memorized. Now, like, none of it's in my head. You know, a lot of it is just taken a powder. The levels in Shambhala are very closely tied to Reiki, but there are four instead of three. Once you get attuned to all four, you automatically, quote, download new symbols as they emerge. You get all those 300 plus symbols that are already out there. And then when new ones come down the pike from St. Germain, you get those too. If you've been attuned by someone who's in a direct line to John Armitage, it's, it's oh, yeah. so, it's so wooey and fucky wucky. It's not even funny. So the four levels in Shambhala, you know, then they do pretty much the same things, but here's the difference in level one, you are able to heal yourself as well as healing others, which is a little bit of a, a departure from Reiki in that regard. Then you got level two that enables you to transfer healing energies to distant places or people. You've got level three that adds more symbols that enable you to start attuning Shambhala Reiki to level one students. And then at level four, this is the teacher master level and is attained once the individual receives all the 352 symbols. It enables you to attune students of all four levels of Shambhala healing at that point. So whoever attunes you also transfers the symbols to you. That's very nice of them. Hmm. Like I said before, I was actually told John Armitage's entire story and still went through with this because I was still a little theist at the time. And I convinced myself that the power and the practitioner are not one and the same and that karma would catch up with this guy eventually if he was doing shit that he wasn't supposed to be doing. I decided at that point that what I did with this was my business and that I was responsible for being responsible with it. So, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, sometimes, and I heard this in evangelical circles all the time, and especially about guys like Jimmy Swagger, because there were, you know, quote unquote, good things that he had to say too. And I was always told, you know, don't look so much at the measure of the man, Look at the message, because sometimes the message is okay, even if the individual is questionable. Mm. So this was one of those things that was still in my head at that time. So yeah, the messenger was questionable, but what he was communicating sounded good. So I decided that my experience of this was going to be personal, and I wasn't going to worry about how he managed it. It didn't occur to me at the time to think that since this guy concocted all this bullshit, that he was probably full of shit and knew it when he started selling it to people because he knew that people would buy it. And, you know, I've said before, I was a very smart person and I bought it. So he had, probably has, a good deal of magnetism and was able to sell this effectively. But, you know, me in my post-evangelical but still theistic life at that point was willing to just give this guy a hall pass and believe in this because of what it was and what it represented to me, which, you know, didn't really make a whole lot of sense either. But it was just a lot of that evangelical thinking that just came out in this particular setting. 
So that's most of what I have on the Reiki practices. You know, those were the two major ones. And there are others. There are other uh, little splinter factions of Reiki, I guess, that uh, that you could look up and, and yeah. learn a little bit more about. But those were the two that I actually had experience with and I could talk with a little bit of authority on. Not that I remembered that much. It was a long time ago. But let's talk about a couple of physical energy healing methods out there that are just as woo-rific, even if they don't have the hyper-spiritual connotation to them, there is a degree of danger to all of them because they all require you to believe certain things about them that may or may not be true or valid. One of the ones that really pissed me off back in the day was magnet therapy. So I first started hearing about this in the early 2000s mm-hmm. and one of the really bad memories i have of it was someone coming to speak at our parents of children with autism support group oh. and this guy came in and went off for an hour and a half about how we should be treating our autistic kids with magnets and he had all these things that you could try and buy and all of this shit uh-huh. and i'm like i wasted my thursday night on this you've got to be kidding and I was just like, no, you you, you can't fix autism with magnets. You can't fix no. anything with no. magnets. And here's why. Again, this, I think, comes from the uh, Wikipedia article on this and also linked in the show notes. Magnetic therapy is a pseudoscientific alternative medicine practice involving the weak static magnetic field produced by a permanent magnet. It is similar to the alternative medicine practice of electromagnetic therapy, which uses a magnetic field generated by an electrically powered device. Practitioners claim that subjecting certain parts of the body to weak electric or magnetic fields has beneficial health effects. These physical and biological claims are unproven and no effects on health or healing have been established. Although hemoglobin, the blood protein that carries oxygen, is weakly diamagnetic when oxygenated or paramagnetic when deoxygenated, the magnets used in magnetic therapy are many orders of magnitude too weak to have any measurable effect on blood flow. You know, that was in my head then. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I don't care how much iron you have in your blood. It's not enough for these things to attract it or anything else that would have any magnetic quality to it. This is not to be confused with transcranial magnetic stimulation, which is a scientifically valid form of therapy, and it has an entirely different process, too. Then there's the concept of polarity therapy, which was founded by Randolph Stone, and it's a kind of energy medicine based on the belief that a person's health is subject to positive and negative charges in their electromagnetic field. So basically, you're feeling the force. Um, It has been promoted as capable of curing a number of human ailments, ranging from muscular tightness to cancer. However, according to the American Cancer Society, available scientific evidence does not support claims that polarity therapy is effective in treating cancer or any other disease. Now, this bears a resemblance with bioresonance therapy, which is another pseudoscientific medical practice in which it is proposed that electromagnetic waves can be used to diagnose and treat human illnesses. It was invented in Germany in 1977 by Franz Morell and his son-in-law, engineer Eric Rosch. 
Initially, they marketed it as Mora Therapy for Morel and Rosh, M-O-R-A. Some of the machines contain an electric circuit measuring skin resistance akin to the E-meter used by Scientology. There it is, showing up twice, which the bioresonance creators sought to improve. Franz Morel also had links with Scientology, so guess where he got the idea? This one is a little bit more personal to me because I actually saw this played out a couple of times. Um, Pyramids. Yeah. Pyramids are kind of a physical, metaphysical hybrid in the energy healing strata. And I just want to take a couple of minutes to talk about two things that I experienced with this. When we were still living in New York for about two years there, I was working at a Boston market. We had this one guy who would come in all the time with the pyramid on his head. And this was the one person that I saw do this most frequently, but I've seen it since. And I've seen it recently. But this guy was, I mean, he would come in like two or three times a week to eat there. And he always had this pyramid on his head. It has a lot to do with preservation. He was trying to keep his brain fresh was what that was more than anything. And I came to that conclusion because of something that I had heard in high school about this. In one of my classes, I think this was during my sci-fi lit class, I took some kind of cool ELA um, electives back in the day. And I took one on sci-fi lit. And I think that this came from that, where I heard this anecdote, never actually saw it done, never tried it. But I heard this little anecdote during that class about an experiment that someone had done with apple slices. They took one apple slice and put it out on a plate by mm-hmm. itself, exposed to air, and you know just let it sit there for, I think they said, like a week. And right next to it was another apple slice that they made a transparent pyramid and put that over this other apple slice. And I think that it was a twofold thing so they could observe them at the same time and see what was happening too. Um, So yeah, they were both getting light, but yeah, the one under the pyramid did take longer to start turning brown. I think that was probably because it was exposed to less air. Yeah. Never mind light. You kind of took away the air, which slowed the process of the uh, decomposition of it down just a little bit. So honestly, it wasn't the pyramid. It was the fact that it was in this very simple encasement that I think made the apple stay fresher longer. But back then, we kind of ooh and odd at it a little bit more because it just sounded kind of neat. And then when I saw that guy come into Boston Market, my brain kind of went back to that. Not yeah. immediately, but it just seemed weird to me at first. And then I think eventually I started thinking about that class. It's like, that's probably why he's doing it, to keep his brain fresh. Not going to work, but, you know, to each their own. When I went out and Googled the term pyramid healing, I came to a source that said this. This power is said to preserve food. There we are. Maintain the sharpness of razor blades, improve health, trigger sexual urges, and cause other dramatic effects. I had heard the razor blade one before, too. Yeah, I'd heard that one. You know, you put uh, razor blades under a pyramid for a period of time, and it's supposed to make them sharper. Well, yeah, that's the perception because that's what you expect. But it's not really doing anything. So with all of this firmly in mind, we're kind of at the home stretch here. And this is where I start tying all of this stuff a little bit more together. Just to be clear, there is no source of quote unquote energy out there 
that can heal you, save that expended by the people who develop medicines, therapies, medical tests, and surgical procedures to get their jobs done. That kind of energy is real. Electricity in the OR is also useful too, and that is a form of energy. So you can use energy to promote healing, but the healing doesn't come from the energy. Right. It comes from the result of the use of that energy. But the bottom line here is simple. There is no Reiki Ray. You don't have chakras. You can't cure cancer by drawing a swirl in your palm and touching someone. And if your hands tingle a lot, you need to make an appointment with your doctor, like now. It's nice to think that we have some sort of power to heal ourselves and to heal others. When my arthritis was at its worst, I believed wholeheartedly that I could stop the pain with Reiki. And I actually did more than once, but not because I had some unseen power flowing through me. I was doing something. And there's a lot of power in that because doing something is always going to be more comforting than doing nothing. Joints relax, muscles untense. My entire body would react to the relief of positive action and my belief that I was doing something significant, that I, my belief that I was channeling this energy into that part of me that hurt. But the problem there is that it's not healing because in my opinion, healing is supposed to have more of an effect than say Tylenol. And I use Tylenol as the example because it's a temporary remedy. The pain always comes back. When it's something like arthritis or something chronic, the pain always comes back. And when the pain came back, I would just hit it with more Reiki, just like I was taking more Tylenol. And again, I would feel better for a bit, but only for a bit. And the duration of time that it felt better started diminishing more and more over time too. And I feel like at this point, it's imperative to say this again too. If you are ex-evangelical, you are particularly susceptible to suggestion about these kinds of things because the concept of energy healing has been quote-unquote downloaded into your brain for years now. It might be tempting to try treating illnesses this way, but please understand this. There's nothing real about the power behind it, but there is plenty of evidence behind the medicines and therapies and actual doctor orders and prescribes. Please do not place your life and your health, and your wellness in the hands of a Reiki practitioner. If you want to try it, if it makes you feel good, feel free. There's nothing inherently wrong with it. It just won't make you well, and you need to understand that. Leave the process of getting well. Leave the process of helping you get well to the people who have the advanced degrees in areas like medicine and biochemistry. They're the ones that can actually help you. Oh, and the same goes for the couple other energy healing examples I just mentioned. No basis in medicine, no clinical evidence, then sorry, it's not worth the money, time, or effort to pursue them. It's time to start thinking realistically about your health. It's necessary. Seeking the truth wherever it leads is vital to personal growth, and the truth is that pseudoscience and metaphysics will never be a match for science and medicine. Forget what you learned in church. Forget what you learned at the hands of a Reiki practitioner or Reiki master teacher. Energy healing doesn't work no matter what label you choose to put on it. Put your health and wellness in the hands of educated professionals who can demonstrate how their services can help you. It's a decision that will take you one step closer to getting and staying unbound. 
enjoyed this episode of Unbound. Show topics are chosen based on their timeliness, relevance, and social impact. Have suggestions for future topics? Email us at unbound.podcast.network at gmail.com with all your comments and feedback. Please don't forget to like, share, and throw a few five-star ratings our way and follow us on all major social platforms. And don't forget to hit subscribe if you haven't already. Links to our social pages as well as a full list of cited sources in today's episode are listed in the show notes available at our website, getunbound.org. That's get-unbound.org. If you value this resource and would like to see it continue, please consider supporting us on Patreon at the link in the show description. And be sure to check for new updates every Sunday when we'll come together again and take one more step toward getting and staying unbound. <laughs>